Greeting. This is Suzanne Cosgrove with Tom Thompson reporting for John Lothian News. We recently talked about the hemp market with Julie Lerner, the founder and chief executive officer of Pan Exchange. Pan Exchange offers over-the-counter trading of physical hemp and other products and is the leading benchmark price provider for the U.S. hemp industry. What follows is a wide-ranging conversation between Tom and Julie about the hemp marketplace. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Julie. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you, Tom? I'm good. Well, let's talk about hemp. What's your outlook, just briefly, for 2021, uh, both in in new products, the marketplace, uh, all areas? If I had to summarize 2021 in one word, I would call it the year of transition. Um, so there's a, there's two different parts we need to look at. One is the market that everyone hears about, which is CBD uh, or cannabinoid market. And that market is grossly oversupplied. We don't need people to farm at all this year. And I know we're going to, we're going to get back to that in a little bit more detail. Um, and then it's transition as well, because I think we're going to see a lot more exciting developments in the fiber and grain side. And this is, to me, this is the future of hemp. This is, it will dwarf the cannabinoid market in terms of volume, and it will be in the rotation with corn, wheat, and soy and part of the, that agricultural complex. So that's exciting. Uh, sure wish it would happen faster though. Oh, I know what you mean. I've been following this since 2015, I guess, and uh, it seems to be a pretty slow process. Speaking of the process um, and looking at the market itself, What's the maturation process been like in, so far? And uh, where do you think we are in the great spectrum of, of becoming a, a full-blown uh, tradable commodity? Sure. So again, two different answers, fiber and grain and then, yeah. and then cannabinoids. Um, so I've actually, in the course of looking at new markets for pan exchange, I've actually realize there is a distinct trajectory that every market goes through and the timing's different for each one, but the, but the steps are the same. So the first step of market maturation is where we are with fiber and grain. And that is what we call just surety of supply. So it's basically step one. And what happens here is that it's project basis. So your buyers need to finesse the type of quality uh, for scale, like your Patagonias and Levi's with regard to hemp-like cottons. Um, they need to really finesse what specifications they need. They need to lock in with growers, make sure that they can get it uh, no less than six months supply at a time, for example. The interesting thing in this phase is that price is not an object, it's a raw material. Um, and it's all about keeping operations moving smoothly. What happens after that is where we've gone to in the cannabinoid market. So, you know, as I said, surety of supply was the biggest issue. The next step is suddenly for various reasons, obviously in hemp, uh, the in, there's an increase in supply. And in hemp, it was because of the 2018 farm bill. In other areas like, like battery metals, it's a demand driven um, need for more supply. But once that new supply comes on board, the, the newcomers are either geographically advantageous to the incumbents or technologically advantageous or both. But two things happen here. There, so there's, there, there's less anxiousness about that supply. Um, and then price becomes the key driver now. 
Um, and that is when pan exchange comes in. That's where the benchmark prices come in. That's where a cash market is formed. Unfortunately, the inevitable step after that is an oversupply. Uh, the gold rush we yeah. saw in our frac sand market as well. Um, and we've just got a, too many people came into the market. Um, you know, no one could see ju just how little hemp we actually needed for the, to fulfill all the demand in cannabinoids. Um, so the CBD side of the business is at that oversupply and moving in, in the sometimes involuntary uh, M&A phase because of the price drop. And fiber and grain is still um, not yet at a cash market. Um, and uh, the supply is still limited. It's surety of supply, step one. On the um, grains, where do you think, or grains and fiber both, um, where do you think regionally those markets will develop? Because right now we've got, you know, them. we have people growing hemp in every single state in the, in the nation. Um, it, it's not the proper crop for, you know, most of those places. Um, and really you need, need some concentration of growing so that you get the infrastructure and processing, harvesting, processing, uh, transportation and all, um, for all that to come together. So where do you see those um, markets kind of solidifying? Yeah, great question. And I mean, it's also noteworthy that there are almost two different plants. Obviously it's the same genre, but fiber and grain hemp is tall and skinny and sturdy. And fiber and hemp for cannabinoids is a short, bushy plant with a lot of flowers. Um, I think for fiber and grain, it's I'm not an agronomist, but I think it's going to thrive in areas that have a lot of sunshine and lower humidity. I think high humidity is going to be a huge problem. Um, so maybe a little bit farther north than you'd see uh, the cannabinoids grown and, and uh, sugar, for example, cane sugar. Where do you see demand in the in the cannabinoid markets going right now. So it, in a way, I mean, there's an oversupply, mm -hmm. but it also means there's an under demand, right? That, um, you know, the, there are all these products out there that's on, in, there's CBD in every store in the country, but in these ex, minuscule amounts that couldn't have a therapeutic effect um, and stuff. So where do you see demand going in that uh, product line? Sure. The thing about CBD market, CBD, it's an interesting product in that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's demand driven. It's everybody you know that has a story to tell directly related either themselves personally with our arthritis or indigestion or chemo, uh, insomnia, with their pets, with their loved ones. Um, they swear by it as opposed to hypothetically, let's just say like the fish oil industry association saying, um, this is why you need to take fish oil. It's good for you. So really interesting and strong foundation for CBD. The problem is that a little bit goes a very, very long way. So one kilo of isolate, which is smaller than a paint can, um, can make 2000 to 3000 tinctures. Those tinctures that still are selling for about hundred dollars, some of them, um, only have 1500 mere milligrams in them. So we need to get realistic about the size of this market. It's a, it's a, it's a supplement. Yeah. Um, so I think it will continue to thrive um, in its own niche way, but I think the emphasis is on niche. Yeah. 
Um, how about the FDA coming in this year? Do you think they'll do anything? Will they regulate it? Will they ignore it? Will they send out letters to people? Um, what's going to happen this year? It's, it's interesting. Um, when we were first talking about this, you asked, is it good or bad for CBD producers? Um, and I love that because everyone is assuming that the FDA will regulate. It's not, I mean, will give positive uh, stamp of approval and it's not if, but when, uh, but that's not a certainty. Yeah. Um, we think they, we think they will. There's no reason why they shouldn't. It is good for you. It's, um, I don't know if there are enough studies out there. Um, I don't know enough about what's on the FDA's plate or when it, or if some people are saying they're not going to come in at all in 2021. Uh, but the government with regard to hemp has surprised us a lot in the last few months. So it's anyone's guess. Um, and I, again, there should be a positive outcome whenever they do it, but Lord knows when that's going to happen. Changing gears again. Um, but I guess mostly st still staying, I guess, with CBD because we're talking about oversupply. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think farmers are going to be responding to the oversupply this year? Will they keep at it because it's an experimental crop for a lot of them? Will they keep experimenting and still producing large amounts? Um, or will they be... Uh, will people drop out? Will we see more farmers dropping out? Um, I think we saw between the 2019 and the 2020 year, crop year, like a lot of farmers dropped out in Kentucky, I believe, right? And um, a couple other places. Um, will that yeah. continue or have we stabilized the number of, of farmers? So, and so, you know, it's noteworthy to say that not everyone who dropped out, dropped out voluntarily. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting crop. It's not like I've been in ag commodities for a long time. And what was remarkable to me are how many people came from outside of the ag community to be hemp farmers, as if you could go figure out on YouTube how to grow hemp. Um, that, that was crazy to me. So we knew that there was going to be a lot of fallout after that first crop year. Um, and as I'd mentioned, some of it is not voluntary that, that they, you know, from, from its high at the peak of this market in July of 2019, biomass prices fell 84%. This year, and I, I know we'll get into tolling a little bit more, um, they, um, the, the, the price decline is now across the board and not just in, in biomass, but in some of the extracted products as well. So yes, there's, there, there has been uh, fallout from that um, in Kentucky and elsewhere. And frankly, it was needed. There's, there's just still an, a, just a gross oversupply right now. We could honestly do well without growing any cannabinoids this year. There's that much inventory. Yeah, um, but that's not gonna happen. Um, they're going to be growing. Now, how much of it is for the CBD hemp? How much of that is indoor grown? Oh, gosh. Do um, I don't have an exact number, but small, small percentage. Yeah. And that's mostly in Colorado, isn't it? Or uh, No, it's out west as well. Okay. Um, and I think that, that that's, again, it's a niche market and will be needed long term for the pharmaceutical grade. Um, yeah. Plus, it's it's so reliable. You know, it's Mm -hmm. You can year round and it's relatively year round and um, predictable. Um, you've given some pretty, not you, Pan Exchange has given some pretty um, surprising estimates on how much acreage is 
needed to serve the U.S. Um, what kind of, you know, what can you give us some more color around that? Like where, what states are emerging? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, even for CBD, which is highly transportable once it's, you know, once it's been through a, a stage or two of processing, you still need infrastructure, you need labs, you need uh, um, uh, security on it and things like that. Oh, testing security. Where do you see CBD emerging in the country? Well, it definitely makes sense in tobacco growing regions. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's still a force to be reckoned with a- across the country. I mean, we have biomass prices in the Northeast and Colorado, Great Plains, and then uh, out West as well, and Kentucky. Um, so for CBD, it can grow in all of these places. Yeah. But Tom, what's remarkable here um, is if I could just put hard numbers on it, um, how little we need, you know, again, a little bit goes a very long way. So a couple months ago, we put out our second annual supply and demand report. Um, we were so afraid to do that the first year because we kept thinking we, we must be making a huge mistake and we can't see it because okay. it was the, the amount right. that we needed was so small. Uh, but then we did it again this year. And, um, so we believe that 103,000 acres were um, planted this year, total production. Um, and that's done. That's in, that includes grain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but again, grain fiber and smokable flour are, are still very, very small. So the predominant market is, is cannabinoids. So it's more than it's down by more than half to 250,000 acres was what was planted in 2019. But here's the thing. So again, we, you know, we don't have reporting requirements on the, on the consumption side. And that's the big, that that's where we're the, the, the solving for X that the pan exchange is trying to do here. And um, so if you were to take the market estimates that people are uh, for some reason, uh, accepting as the accurate reason. Uh, they're the most optimistic of the groups estimating the total CBD market uh, claimed that uh, the CBD market in consumer packaged goods, so at the retail level, would reach almost $5 billion in 2020. Um, personally, I think that that is really on the high side, but let's for a minute say it's not. Let's, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Even if the market is is at that four point seven billion dollars. We we backed it off to okay fifteen hundred milligrams for tincture at one hundred dollars tincture. Back it down to um, the extraction from um, to distillate from biomass and then biomass to acres. And let me tell you what we came up with here. Um, we think that the entire twenty twenty crop year could have uh, been met with less than three thousand acres nationwide, (laughs) less than 3000 acres. So, you know, we, 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 we looked at it in three different ways. Another way. So we took that, we took that, um, that market estimate at 4.7 billion and backed it off by extraction value back to the farm and back to acres. We also did it another way, second year in a row. Um, We took a public company, Charlotte's web and looked at their financial data and they, um, they were at 95 million in sales in 2019. They were about to hit the same target as well when we did the study. Uh, so sales flat um, at 95 million, you know, respectable though, right? 95. We think that the actual demand they needed was 57 acres from the 2019 growing season. 
to reach hmm. almost 100 million in sales. So you can see how this inventory is building yeah. the market. Quite a dangerous situation there economically, you know. Yes. Um, so to, your, to your point, we, uh, we're doing what we can to educate the farmers on this reality. Uh, nobody wins with more cannabinoids this, this year. Yeah. Um, how about any of the, you know, I mean, I, I'm familiar with CBD, um, as most people are. Um, is there any, any demand coming from CBG and CBN? CBN is a hot one, I understand. Absolutely. So three things garnering a premium to regular biomass are CB, well, the minor, all the minor cannabinoids. Yeah. So two things, CB, CBG, CBN, and so forth. Um, and smokable flour is garnering a premium as well. Um, so, but again, super small part of the market. And frankly, I think some people sold into the flower market unintentionally, but they had nowhere else to go with it. Um, and that uh, we are giving price indications for smokable flower. I don't think it'll ever be a benchmark because it's too nuanced. It's a super wide range because, you know, there's a nose to it, if you can imagine. That's not a yeah. commodity to us. So, um, and then I think that's kind of going to merge with, with the marijuana demand um, especially as marijuana, the stigma dies in marijuana and it becomes federally illegal in more and more states. Um, what, what is this tolling that we have been reading about? What is that process? Can you tell our uh, listeners? Yeah. So my, I mean, if I could make bumper stickers, it would say stop tolling. Um, <laughs> so, so tolling um, is, so biomass is the first cut off the field and, uh, and, and CBD is around 8%. Everyone thought it was 10, but actually 10% CBD was hot, came in over 0.3 THC. So that degrades very quickly and has mold risks and other risks and so forth. So what farmers did was to toll it to preserve the quality. So basically taking that raw material and extracting it just, just to preserve. And then it goes into crude oil. And then from crude oil, you go to distillate or isolate. But crude is enough to save the quality of it. So a tolling agreement works in one of two ways. Either they simply pay a fee, which I think was $1 to $4 a pound. It's pretty rich. Um, just to get the biomass in and get the crude oil back out. And then that, so the processor gives them the winterized crude oil. And now the farmer still has the product to sell. So you, yes, you preserve the quality, but it's still sitting there. Or the processor says, sometimes even with the fee, pay me the fee to process it and I'll sell it for you and give you a percentage of my profits once I do sell it. So for that reason, the inventory build in 2021 or, or starting in 2020 and through, through this year, it's across the whole supply chain. This product is getting stuffed at the farm, getting stuffed at the processor, these white labelers. I think Charlotte's Web may have over 30,000 kilos of, of extracted product. Right. Oh. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I cannot, I don't want to be an alarmist. I'm trying to help people make better decisions this year. It's a lot. So, um, so I, I'm trying to say that, you know, tolling is not a solution. Yes, it preserves the quality, but it's still not a home. Yeah, still, still needs to be sold. Mm -hmm. um, how... Are you fitting into the whole marketing system? So you're a, a platform. What do people see on your platform and who comes to your platform and what do they do? Sure. So interestingly enough, we are for now the trading platform 
is only for the cannabinoid side of the business, even though we're benchmarking fiber and grain. As we talked about earlier, that's still at the project basis and not ready for the cash market. We need more supply and, and more consistent buyers as well, or more consistent demand. Um, so I've always described Pan Exchange as a market structure solution because we, we, we've got three different pillars here. First is, is just bringing instant market access and, and price discovery, um, matching buyers and sellers where they're not known to each other, particularly in a nascent market. You don't know who everybody is. The, the second pillar would be helping the industry gravitate towards viable standards. Um, with regard to quality specifications, with regard to industry accepted payment terms, um, credit worthiness, um, delivery terms, and so forth. Um, so, so we helped get to that market solution, not the lab test results, but mm -hmm. viable for commodity traders. And the third pillar is, is the benchmark prices. Um, we don't like to call ourselves a price reporting agency because I think that's kind of an antiquated way to bring transparency to this market and, and dare I say inaccurate. We like to call our platform a price discovery uh, mechanism because the reality is we've, our price submitters are uh, growers, processors, trade houses, and end users, which is to say only people who are touching the product and owning the product. Um, and for that reason, just by uh, having this solution where buyers and sellers can meet to move the physical product, product, we get the most objective and accurate prices coming out of the market. So, yeah, those are the the three pillars. I think I think we do. Um, another thing that works now, especially without um, you know exchange traded derivative, you cannot qualify for financing or crop insurance unless you forward sell your crop. Mm -hmm. Now. As we saw in 2019, any buyer in his right mind would walk away from a contract if the price fell 84%. So what you can do in that case is to price against the benchmark at the time of delivery and the change of title. Um, and that way, everybody gets market rates at the time. And that is the precursor to a derivative contract. Um, and it's the way, as you guys know, that's what people don't in hemp don't realize is trading against a benchmark or a derivative or you know, basis trading is how all mature markets trade. You know, Hemp's trading fixed price today. It's the riskiest and least mature way to, that a market is quoted. Now, my perception is that most hemp farmers are not, um, they're not single crop, that they are, you know, it's a few acres of another enterprise. So is there that much demand for financing? Is there that much, not demand, but need for financing um, among hemp farmers at this point? Well, I, I would assume all farmers would welcome the opportunity for, you know, yeah. reasonable rates to, to finance the harvest. Um, so I think, you know, kind of bringing the whole conversation together to your point of, of you know, the M&A and, and, and the the attrition we've seen were the single crop farmers and the small farmers um, with the one one hit wonder crop, right? Yeah. Uh, it's much harder to do that. So, um, and and I think you know if it's available and crop insurance is available from the USDA, which it is now, um, I think farmers will try to take advantage of that as well. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm very interested in the financial side of. Uh of how this all keep, gets going. Because we, I mean, it's one thing also to have the investment in the crop, but you need the processing 
you need you know fact you know factories of uh, of some size you know to take this stuff in you know to process the biomass. I mean there are places where it's easier to um, extract uh, CBD from from bio, uh, from biomass than other places. So you have to transport it um, to places. It has to be in good enough condition once it arrives at the uh, at, at the distillery kind of thing. Um, so it, there is a lot of um, finance financial um, works, you know, on infrastructure that needs to be um, in there too. And I guess when you have all these fixed rate contracts, that's kind of eating up a lot of your ability for financing. You know, you're, you're, you can't sort of put it all together um, like you can do with soybeans or corn. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the demand side needs to have the financing aspects nailed down too. have to have that ability also, you know, to, to buy forward at, at the market price and mm-hmm. have their have trans, transactions down the line from that too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Julie, for uh, spending the time with us today. Thank you both. Thank you. This is Suzanne Cosgrove and Tom Thompson for John Lothian News.